Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of SG Explained. I am your host, Alan, and joining me today, two of my favorite people on this planet in the digital <laughs> space. It's Shamian and Rovik. What's up, guys? What's up, guys? What up, what up? I feel like if you ever say that opening spiel and you introduce anyone else, I would be surprised. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try my best, honestly. I, I try as, as best as I can. Today's episode is going to be fun. I haven't seen you guys in a good long bit. We've been all traveling in our own in our own ways. I just came back from Vietnam. Just last week, we were recording an episode as well. And Yes. Yeah, you were recording from Vietnam. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And look and look where I am today. You mentioned that you were gonna go to Malaysia, which is great yes. because today's episode is about Malaysia. <laughs> we're going international, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's actually explained, but today's episode uh, we wanted to center around Johor Baru, right? Our neighbors next door, like literally across the road. Shout out to those who live in Woodlands as well. Literally talking about your backyard. This is going to be centered around always the Singaporean perspective of things. So I thought we talk about the people who actually we consider to be a lot like us. These JB residents who come to Singapore on a daily basis. Some of them even stuck with us during the pandemic. And to focus on their stories. I think uh, JB is so close to a lot of our hearts because... For a lot of Singaporeans, you know, we go there to, I don't know, makan, pop up gas, you know. Yeah. <laughs> up to a certain limit. Up to a certain limit, yes, yes, of course. <laughs> of course, got to stay within the legal ratios. I haven't been here in a while, so I thought, why not explore and deep dive? Elliot, are you saying this is not a backdoor pilot to Malaysia Explained? <laughs> the spin-off show? If anyone wants to do uh, Malaysia Explained, uh, MY Explained, let, let us know, dude. <laughs> <laughs> guys, when was the last time you guys went to JV? Oh, man. It would be embarrassing to share this on this episode because I guarantee there will be no Malaysia explained. (laughs) (laughs) Last time I went to Malaysia at all was like when I was a kid in primary school. Primary school? And I spent so much of my primary school days in Malaysia that I think I just like clocked my miles and that was it. (laughs) Like I would go Gunting, KL, JB. But then we just kind of stopped as a family. So actually it's great because you're going to talk about things to do, right? I'm assuming. So to me, it would be like a whole new world. I think the last time I went to Malaysia was 2019. And I think I did sort of a solo trip. Of course. Of course you did, Rovik. What else would I expect from you? It's like, oh yeah, we're traveling. We're solo again. It was one of those periods of my life where I was just was just overwhelmed by work and I told myself I need a break. At that point, I wasn't really in the mindset to take like a long flight. I, I remember going by bus. Yeah, I went by bus across the causeway and then I just spent a day like having good food, like walking around oh the cafes goodness. and stuff like that. Yeah, so it was it was just a very nice way to like take a break. And JB feels so different sometimes from Singapore, even though it's like just across the border. Yeah. You took the public bus or do you take like a coach bus? I took a public bus. Yeah, amazing. The fact that we can take a public bus there blows my mind every single time. <laughs> yeah, it's from, uh, I think, Marsling or Woodlands. I think you take the bus, yeah. I, I did that a long time ago as well. I think I was like 18 or something. Cool little things. And I'm sure a lot of people don't actually know that you can take an SBS bus. You can tap your EasyLink card and get across from like Singapore to JB. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this episode was because uh, recently, I don't know if you guys have seen the news, but PM Lee and his wife 
uh, Ho Ching were bestowed the highest honors by Johor ruler Sultan Ibrahim Sultan Iskandar. Uh, PM Lee. Yeah, so it's so crazy. It just kind of like shows the strength and solidity of this relationship between the two cities. PM Lee, he was given the highest order of chivalry. Uh, the title is the most honorable order of the crown of Johor, first class, like X-Men, Datuk uh, wow. Sri Paduka Makota Johor, SPMJ, which carries the title Datuk. And I know Datuk is such a, is such a big title for them. And on the other hand, uh, Ho Ching was honored the most exalted order of Sultan Ibrahim Johor, first class, Datuk Sri Mulia Sultan Ibrahim Johor, SMIJ, which carries the title Tatin Paduka, which interesting enough, this is like, you know, the, the, the creme de la creme of titles, like getting knighted. Actually, to be given this honors is sort of a big sign of respect. Yeah, it is. It is. In your next door neighbor, nonetheless, the Johor Sultan did say this to the Malaysian press. I think it was only like May 6th. So that's like a couple of days ago for us. Uh, he says Johor and Singapore, since time immemorial, have enjoyed a special relationship. Today's special investiture in honor of the Singapore Prime Minister is a tangible manifestation of our close relationship and deepening ties. I, I think that says a lot. And normally, you know, we'll do a history episode and talk about how Singapore and Malaysia, or even in this case, JB, how these ties grew. But we've done so many episodes on when we used to be part of, of Malaysia. We know about separation, merger, etc. So instead of doing that, I thought, why don't we talk about something a little bit more real today in open inverted commas? And with that, uh, guys, it's time for a pop quiz. Pop quiz. What? Go, go. No, I was not expecting it. So quick into today's episode. <laughs> <laughs> Keeping the relationship spicy, Elliot. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Gotta mix it up a bit sometimes. Well, I thought the pop quiz would be really helpful in leading us into the topic itself. So here's the question for both of you. Prior to the pandemic, in the late 2019, early 2020, what was the estimated number of daily commuters between Johor and Singapore? Now, this is purely through land borders. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you know how many people are crossing through the two separate causeways, uh, Second Link and, and the causeway. It's definitely in the hundreds of Ks. You can't imagine like tens of Ks of people. But And you're saying both ways, meaning people from Singapore to Johor and Johor to Singapore. Oh, this is purely from Johor to Singapore. Oh, okay. How okay. many people think travel from Johor to Singapore on the daily? 350,000. I'm going to go with something a little lesser. Maybe say 270,000. Okay, very cool. Very cool. And the answer is... It's 400,000. Wow. Yes. <laughs> I still win. It's crazy. It's crazy. I didn't expect that number as well. But according to the Ministry of Human Resources, Malaysia, pre-pandemic, about 400,000 and upwards of people were traveling from Johor to Singapore on the daily. Uh, and they're hoping to get those numbers back through. 400,000 people coming into Singapore on the daily back then is an insane ratio. I mean, I'm just thinking of the traffic, man. <laughs> We're going to talk a little bit about traveling 
for work in just a bit. I mean, prior to the pandemic, we knew it was common for many Malaysians who are staying in Johor to travel to Singapore for their jobs, right? And we just talked about traffic. So obviously that is a big price to pay. Imagine having to wake up like before the crack of dawn to make sure that you're ahead of the traffic. So it's really tedious, really tiring, but that's what they did every single day to get to work on time, to avoid bad traffic, to avoid rush hour. And okay, thanks to Elliot for putting in the numbers. Officials <laughs> estimate that about 145,000 vehicles pass through Johor Bahru's customs, immigration, and quarantine complex daily. So that's just like people who drive into Singapore themselves. A lot of people are carpooling as well, yeah. which is like, yeah, one carpool, four people. So 145,000 vehicles, give or take, will get you to that 400,000 range. Yeah. And, you know, on weekdays alone, the commute from Drahabaru across uh, the Causeway Bridge takes about one to two hours, depending on how deep in JPU stay as well. And on weekends and public holidays, that journey can be much longer. And of course, you're taking into account the Singaporeans who are going into JB on the weekends. So I'm not surprised that the traffic is is worse. <laughs> this was pre-pandemic, right? And we're taking a look at an anecdote taken from CNA, giving us a glimpse into what traveling for work looks like now that travel is easing up during the endemic. So let's take Mr. Asha Samsi as an example. Now, this is the last day living in Singapore. This is April 8th, and he's queuing at the Queen Street bus station for a ticket home. Now, he's 36 years old, and he's a father of four. He works as a production operator in Singapore, and he's finally moving back home after two years of living apart from his family. So you can imagine, you no, know, like him standing there at the bus station, like his emotions here is like, oh man, maybe it's not such a bad thing because I get to go home and be with my family, right? But there are some other Malaysians who are on the complete opposite end. Like the thought of going back to commuting every day between Singapore and Johor is actually more daunting. And we take Miss Kalai Saleh, for example. She's 40. She's also at the bus station on her way home for the weekend. And she works in sales. She hasn't decided whether to give up her rented room in Singapore because obviously expenses are higher here. But it is less tiring than commuting back and forth every single day. So, you know, the situation here with the pandemic is ever-changing, but I don't know, how do you feel about this, guys, with the whole, like, opening up again? How do you feel, like, let's say you were living in JB? Would you rather, like, you know, keep your place here in Singapore or, like, continue commuting every single day? I mean, Singapore, again, has a very unique situation because it's a small island, right? So intra-Singapore commuting tends to be max 20 to 30 minutes, right? If you really... Think about maybe someone who lives in Woodlands taking a train down to the city. That tends to be around the time period you're looking at. Around the world, I know friends who live in places like New Jersey who commute to work in New York, mm. right? And that's because it's easier to buy a house, like a big house for your family in Jersey. And the commute tends to be just as long, if not longer, right? can be up to two hours. In Europe, in London, for example, people live on the outskirts of London because it's super expensive to live in London. Commute also tends to be around an hour and a half, two hours, right? So, so actually, the concept of a two-hour commute is a one to two-hour commute is actually not crazy when you look at other sort of big cosmopolitan cities around the world. It is Maybe just Singapore that our reference... Of long distance. Yeah, it's, it's a bit different, right? So, <laughs> so I think that's the first sort of thing to just put things in context. I think the second thing, really what the pandemic has done to people. So mm -hmm. I have a couple of friends in the F&B space, right? So they were bartenders or mm -hmm. people who were working in front of house and 
they were basically commuting every day. It was okay for them because work would tend to start maybe around 10 or 11 for a restaurant because they weren't doing like morning shifts. And so they would make sure they can wake up around 8, uh, make their way around across the causeway and reach work around 10 pretty okay. Uh, And they would do the same at night, right? Uh, they'll, They'll go back home late at night. But I think with the pandemic, a lot of them had to make the decision on whether they wanted to start renting in Singapore. And so they started doing that. And I realized, actually, it's okay. The key thing that they lose out on is basically connection to family because their family is still back in JP. But to them, then they've moved to a mindset of, well, maybe actually because I'm working in Singapore, I should just stay in Singapore and I'll go back home maybe once a month or once every few months, right? I've seen that happen and I... And I wonder if that's sort of a bigger shift uh, as well. There's some aspects of the economic consideration, which I guess we'll talk about later on. But I definitely don't think the relationship or the sort of commuting patterns that used to exist before the pandemic necessarily will stay the same post-pandemic. Actually, it's interesting. You know, the comparison between like traveling from one, let's say like Jersey to New York, right? That's like a, a pure drive most of the time. But from JB to Singapore, right? You always have to consider that there's some administration to do in between. It's not like staying oh, home. Yeah. You got a passport like on a daily basis, do you not? Like I, I don't know how it works. Like technically, I know there's some like border passes and stuff that you can you can apply for. But dang, if you had to go through immigration every single day, right? What a pain in the ass, dude. Like, not gonna lie. I think I think I feel for I feel for these people who need to go through that cycle every single time. But actually, immigration between JV and Singapore is quite efficient. Like. It's not like the US where they'll keep asking you, what's true, your purpose? True. How many friends do you have here? <laughs> Where's your hotel receipt? <laughs> you know? I, I think it doesn't sound that easy, but really big kudos to these people because some of the stories that I hear, you know, uh, people will travel at the crack of dawn, but by the time they're done, because they might work in F&B space, as you, as you noted, Rovic, F&B is not a nine to five job you know most of the time it's a nine to 10 yeah. p.m kind of job and then you go back home and you have to drive through the the causeway again you get back you rest and next day crack before dawn boom you're back into the onto the streets so very arduous as it is but also ma- ma- major kudos for these people who are trying to make a living out of it i mean god works hard but the people who drive from jb to singapore for work works harder so <laughs> they were hard, dude. They they were hard. maybe we could take a gander at this but why do you think people from jb want to come to singapore to work i mean we're going to state the obvious currency wise i'm sorry but it just makes sense like <laughs> like i totally get it and i can totally understand the people who choose not to rent in singapore if they were to work in Singapore, prices of renting houses here just want to make you vomit blood. So, you know, if you can take more of that money and leave it for your family in JB and you mm-hmm, just sacrifice mm-hmm. more of your time and energy traveling back and forth, I feel like it's all about conditioning. After a while, you just kind of, kind of get into it. It's like when I decided not to stay in hall in NTU and people always call NTU, Pulau NTU, right? Like once yes. you start doing it and you, you, you like weigh out the benefits and the costs in your head, you kind of can decide what you're willing to sacrifice. So I guess for these people, it's the same. I agree with me. And I think salary and currency is definitely one big aspect of it. I think the other is sort of job opportunities, right? Because when you look at JB's sector, they have started to do a lot of stuff in manufacturing recently. But prior to that, it tended to be a lot more around tourism and service sectors. And even the service sectors weren't really exportable services. So they were what they call basically domestic services, right? And when you come to Singapore, actually, the job 
opportunities are a bit more diverse and they're a bit more accessible because Singapore is smaller, right? So it's not to say that Malaysia doesn't have these industries. It's just that JB, if you're living in JB, it's easier to come to Singapore to get access to some of these jobs compared to going to somewhere else in Malaysia. And so actually, it's a well-known fact that uh, during the pandemic, a lot of the manufacturing sectors that tended to rely on labor, so meaning human labor, suffered a lot because the Malaysians that decided to go back got stuck in Malaysia, then suddenly caused a gap in their labor force, right? And so now all these like factory spaces here couldn't do manufacturing. And it's not just low-end labor. Yes, you have low-end labor that you have migrant workers for and you have folks from Malaysia who come. But Malaysians are also taking up just jobs in the manufacturing space in general. There's still a big disconnect between the number of jobs in the manufacturing space and the number of Singaporeans who actually want to go into manufacturing. So I think that's another part of it. I think F&B is the, the easiest to see because you know we, we interact with it so much. But actually, a lot of the jobs tend to be in the other s- sectors uh, where Malaysians are going down to Tuas, they're going down to basically the different estates, industrial estates in Singapore to work. And it's great that you guys brought it up because according to the Ministry of Human Resources Malaysia, Singapore is a hub for most of the engineering firms, right? And the benefits and pay scale are very lucrative. Uh, in a comparison between the pay scale for engineers, Singapore pays at least twice as much as Malaysian employers. So give you an example. For mechanical electrical engineers, Gross salary for a year will accumulate up to SGD $120,000 in Singapore, whereas the same job description in Malaysia would only sum up to about 45000 SGD per year. That's a huge discrepancy. Even though these figures are dependent, of course, numerous factors, but you know, just from this scale alone, the difference is huge. When it comes to IT professionals and computer engineers, organizations based in Singapore hire with a starting salary of about SGD, what, $2,500, uh, which is equivalent to about what, 7.5k RM, which is at least twice as much as the Malaysian employers pay. Uh, so the experienced Malaysians working in Singapore can earn about 200k to 300k RM per year compared to 80 to 140k RM in Malaysia for the same job role and working hours. I think that by itself is a lot of incentive to come over uh, and work. It's more than double most of these times. The other part of this is really thinking about cost of living, right? Because one of the main reasons why wages are much higher in Singapore is because there's sort of an assumption that you live in Singapore and you need to be able to cover basic cost of living, right? And if you look at some of the numbers for the jobs you talked about, Elliot, actually, these are mid-level jobs. I would say they're not really entry-level jobs. Entry-level jobs tend to be a bit lower. When you look at a Malaysian coming to Singapore, earning the wage that is normally tiered towards cost of living in Singapore. Then taking that back to Malaysia, you probably have to pay some fees around remittance. But even then, even after that cut, you're having a healthy amount, right? The difficulty is, of course, being able to to convince a Singaporean employer to hire you, right? Because you need to have a right to work. And then secondly, you also need to be able to deal with sort of the administrative and logistical issues, right? Commuting back and forth and thinking about how you're actually going to make it to work on time and stuff like that. But if you if you can look at all of that and make a net sort of assessment, then yes, the Singaporean job definitely makes a lot more sense compared to a job within JB or even within Malaysia in general. There are a lot more MNCs based in Singapore than in JB, right? So if you want to have that exposure, that work experience, traveling over here really does have the perks of being exposed to bigger firms all, all in all, right? 
And if you want to eventually get a placement somewhere else in the world, this would be a very good stepping stone. One thing that is changing this narrative is how COVID has basically made people realize that they can run decentralized workplaces, right? Yes, so yes. for some sectors like engineering, it won't affect it as much because you ultimately need someone on the factory line or the manufacturing line. But for IT services, you can hire a Malaysian in Malaysia, right? You don't really need to hire them under your Singapore office with a Singapore salary, expecting them to come here. You can hire them under your Singapore payroll, but keep them in Malaysia. The question then is, do you modify your pay uh, because they are living in Malaysia, right? Or they're based in Malaysia. It's getting more tricky in the very early days of how organizations are really looking at hybrid workplaces or or decentralized workplaces in general. And so would Malaysians still come to Singapore for the jobs if an employer says, yeah, you can you can stay there. You don't have to come here. Yeah, that's mm. a big question mark. Yeah. So at the larger economic level, right, as at 2015, Singapore is Malaysia's biggest trading partner with imports and exports totaling approximately US $28 billion. Conversely, Singapore's biggest trading partner is not Malaysia, it's China, followed by Hong Kong, and then Malaysia. If you do some basic international affairs or geopolitics, you realize that there is sort of that relationship between proximity, size of economies, and then the trade volume between those countries, right? So Singapore and Malaysia being right next to each other definitely explains why they are in the top three trading partners with each other. Former Malaysian Prime Minister Najib Razak has suggested that both nations actually should promote regulations and e-commerce and encourage electronic payments to really drive more cross-border activity. I know one of the things that they're working on is to actually see how they can plug, for example, PayNow with Malaysia's banking system as well. Oh. So when you can go to Malaysia, you can actually scan your QR codes in the malls and pay with PayNow. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. So right now you can do that for Thailand. I think Thailand was able to move a bit faster on that front. But yeah, this is something they're definitely trying to do with Malaysia. Specifically, Malaysia's southernmost state of Johor has enjoyed close bilateral relations. Both territories neighbor each other and share natural resources such as water. And in addition, Johor and Singapore together with Indonesia's Riau Islands formed the Sijori Growth Triangle. And this is, it gets very close to my day job, actually. <laughs> <laughs> so Sijori, if you, if you didn't realize, stands for Singapore SI. J-O is Johor and R-I is Riau Islands. And it's meant to be sort of an economic, larger ecosystem for foreign direct investment. So the idea is that if you come in, you can leverage the different benefits of each region to have an overall sort of economic investment into the region, right? So mm. maybe Singapore will take some of the capabilities that are a bit more attuned to our sort of uh, hub economy, right? So headquarters services, capital uh, services, etc. Uh, maybe Johor will be where you do a lot of your uh, shared services. So like, you know, HR, um, maybe finance, you can put it there. Maybe some manufacturing and real islands maybe is where you put some of your IT services, right? And so it's meant for you to have sort of an overall investment into Southeast Asia, but leveraging the different benefits of each part of the region. Singapore is also one of the top sources of foreign direct investments into Iskandar, Malaysia, which is actually an economic corridor spanning much of southern Johor. Again, sort of uh, looking at complementing Singapore's manufacturing space with a manufacturing footprint there that then may be able to take on more of the, the low cost work, right, that, that needs to happen. 
So at the moment, it can be argued that the most visible manifestation of the strong ties between the two countries is the Iskandar Malaysia Development Zone, an area three times the size of Singapore that lies in the southern Malaysian state of Johor. The Iskandar Regional Development Authority said in July 2015 that Iskandar Malaysia had secured Malaysian 10.7 billion ringgits, which is basically around US $3.5 billion of new committed investment in the first half, bringing total cumulative investments into that region up to 95.5 billion ringgits since the zone was launched. Uh, this number is probably much higher now because that region has just continued to get investment. And there's a lot of sort of attention on Iskandar Malaysia as a good area to invest in for manufacturing. Overall, Asia accounted for 42% of foreign capital inflow, followed by Europe and the Middle East for Iskandar Malaysia. And while no specific figures were given for the size of Singaporean investments, the Regional Development Authority noted that Singapore has maintained its position as the largest foreign investor in the region since December of 2014. I didn't know this zone existed here. I didn't know it was a thing. I just thought like, you know, we go there and we eat and like get foot <laughs> massages and stuff. Uh, but turns out there's a lot of like economical workings for a long time after, you know, the Iskandar Malaysian Development Zone was launched in November 2006. Many Singaporean companies were hesitant to commit to the region at the start. Uh, of course, this is because they appeared to be waiting for, you know, a lot of government-linked companies to make a concrete move into the region, no surprise there, uh, which would have indicated that the Singaporean government had given its blessings to invest in the zone. Uh, that signal came in June of 2014, when Tamase and Kazana uh, announced that they had identified two sites in Iskandar, Malaysia, to carry out major joint development projects. So that kind of like opened the floodgates and investments by Singaporean companies uh, in sectors such as education, healthcare, manufacturing, and even property development. Some of them uh, we'll talk about a bit later. We saw them grow. Kazana, by the way, is a Tamasic of Malaysia. So basically, Tamasic and Kazana doing some of these projects was, uh, again, very strong signal. The other sort of operating consideration here was, I think when it comes to most development projects in the region, besides Singapore, which has sort of built its reputation and trust, a lot of the other development projects, investors tend to be a bit concerned or scared, right? Because there are some development projects that have closed down, folded. There are some development projects that end up becoming like big sources of corruption, right? Because a lot of people will just ask for bribes in order to do stuff. And, you know, some development projects just end up not being market viable, right? Maybe because they weren't uh, good connectivity or maybe because people weren't working there. So I think with any new project, you're going to have a lot of concerns. It wasn't anything specifically to do with Malaysia in this case. But uh, I think when Tomasic decided to put its skin in the game, a lot of other companies basically said, okay, if Tomasic is going to be there, then Tomasic will will watch out for itself. If Tomasic watches out for itself, then we can be sure that we can also get some of that security. I, I think that's super interesting. We've seen Singaporeans steadily purchasing homes in property developments within the Iskandar Malaysia zone uh, since its launch. Uh, growing numbers of Singaporeans have also decided to live in the region and commute to work in Singapore. That that mm-hmm. to me that's is a, interesting. It, that's an interesting one, right? Like we actually have Singaporeans who are like, I think I'll live in Malaysia where it's maybe it's slightly uh, cheaper in terms of standard of living, right? Like, but I'll just come to Singapore and work just like one of, just like an, another uh, JB citizen. You know, a semi-detached house, for example, can be bought in the IM 
for the price of a three-room flat here wow. in Singapore. Okay, uh, with that, we've kind of like set up the stage a little bit about the relations between Singapore and JB for a while. I, I think it's it's nice to kind of understand a little bit deeper the ties that bind us. Uh, we're going to go for a short break, but when we come back, let's do some fun stuff. Let's talk about what we can do uh, for both uh, play and, you know, kind of like sightseeing in JB. Uh, don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. It's crazy to think that we're in Season 5 of the SG Explained Podcast and you, the listener, have been a great part of that experience. If you like what we've been doing over the last few seasons and you want to support some independent podcasters, here are three ways that you can do so. The first is to subscribe and that's by just clicking the subscribe button or follow button on any of the platforms you're listening to us on. The second is to share. Share our content, our episodes with people that you think would enjoy learning about the Singapore identity and challenging some of the preconceived notions that they may have. And finally, directly support us by clicking on the anchor link in the description area where you can make a small contribution that helps us support some of the costs of producing these great podcasts. Thank you again for being part of the SJ Explained family and we look forward to making many more great episodes for you. And we're back. Okay, cool, guys. So That was a quick toilet break. <laughs> very, very quick, very quick. I, it's almost like I didn't go. Um, <laughs> it's the magic of podcasting. We're back from the break. And now what we're going to do is talk a little bit about what we can expect to go back into JV4. We finally had the easiest access to JV we've had in years. Government announced that we could just what go to the border and there's no tests, nothing. You just flash it. You got your vaccination card. And you're like, ready to go through the borders. I've wrote down a list of stuff. If you guys have more on your list as well, please do share with us. Listeners at home, if you guys know some sick places to go to JV, please do. Yeah. Uh, you know, tell us in the comments, send us a message. We would love to share it with the rest of the people as well. In the meantime, let's play Audio Guy for going to JB in 2022. Yeah. This one I'm super excited about. And I know for sure Elle is going to be like, oh, it's because you're like hipster and shit. Han Hyok Ni Heritage Street. Now, some of you might be familiar with this. This is the old town in JB and it's home to plenty of colorful murals, heritage buildings. When I look at the pictures, it feels like a cross between Kyongsaik Street in Singapore and also a bit of Juchit, right? Heritage and all. So you can easily spend the day here roaming about the neighborhood, snapping lots of photographs. And this historical street is actually named after one of the founding fathers of the city. And it's dotted with antique shops, boutique cafes, restaurants, ready to welcome you anytime you are hungry and you're looking for a place to escape the heat. So uh, Rovit, you mentioned that you went to Malaysia by yourself that one time did you actually visit this place no i've been to the street and actually i was gonna give some specific wrecks hey. from the street oh yeah. yeah so so one place to definitely check out is hyapchu bakery now hyapchu <gasps> bakery is known for its banana cakes and they have a couple of other baked goods but i tell you i i went there and the line is a good like half an hour long all wow. Singaporeans. <laughs> All <laughs> oh, sure. like, I went on a weekday some more, okay? I went on a Wednesday. I thought Wednesday, not many people. But no, <laughs> there are a lot of Singaporeans <laughs> deciding to travel every day. And Hyamchu Bakery has, as in it has great demand. It, it, I think the reason why they're so popular is because they use an old oven, right? So one of those like uh, very, very uh, traditional, ancient wood fire ovens. 
And so, yeah, the banana cake was actually really good. It was definitely something I wish I had bought more of back to Singapore. So, so definitely go there. Not necessarily on the same street, but adjacent to it is a cha siu and a roast duck place called Restaurant Yawang. I was just talking to some friends yesterday about the difference between Malaysian and Singaporean food. And they were saying, actually, Malaysian food just tends to be a lot more fatty, a lot more juicy, right? And Restaurant Yawang is really where you will say, hey, where did they get their duck from? It tastes very different <laughs> from the ducks you get in Singapore. So, yeah, it's really, really good food over there. There's a lot of other hipster cafes as well. I remember getting like an avocado milkshake and just like going and chilling at another cafe and reading a book. So, yeah, you can do all sorts of stuff on the street. And the best part is this street is literally next to the checkpoint. So you don't even have to like take a taxi oh. or anything. You can exit the checkpoint, go down, and it's like a five-minute walk away from it. So foodies, if you are looking for new places to you know, check out and you know you want more like Instagram photos at hot spots that you've never been to, definitely check out this place. Once again, it's Tan Hyok Ni Heritage Street. Now for the shopaholics, we haven't forgotten about you. Obviously, JPO, Johor Premium Outlets, is something that every Singaporean knows. This is truly a shopaholics paradise, okay? Because you can get luxury branded goods at discounted prices and they've got a great selection of over 150 outlets, including your favorite brands like Coach, Bali, uh, DKNY, Fossil, Nike, Adidas. Seriously, as I say this, I'm just like, okay, Singaporean, Singaporean, Singaporean. <laughs> we haven't shopped like that in such a long time, dude. It's like legit. I remember when I was a kid, like we would go as a as a family into Johor just to shop. So we would like free up boot space and stuff in the car just to bring back all the goods. So fond memories, fond memories. Well, yeah, squeezing with goods, you know, where your life is less valuable <laughs> than the goods you have bought. It's like, mom. I have no space in the car. She's like, shut up. <laughs> shut up and <laughs> make sure you don't destroy the box. Uh, now, of course, at JPO, in case you get hungry, there's also a food court as well as cafes, dessert shops, many restaurants in the premise. And I think, um, you know, food. Food is definitely like a special relationship that both Malaysia, well, Johor, and us Singaporeans, you know, we share, right? Everywhere we go, there's bound to be food. Like you'll never go hungry. And so one for the hipsters, if you're extra, extra hipster, this one, I don't know. Is this new, L? I have never been here myself, but I read so many stellar reviews about the cafes of, at this place, Mount Austin, which um, even my religion friends are like, oh yeah, you definitely should. If you're driving up to KL, just drop by there for lunch and then continue the rest of your nice. journey. So I haven't been to, but Mount Austin is one of those places that you either drop by when you're driving through or if you're doing like an overnight stay in JB, then you normally will, will put in some time at Mount Austin. But it's very youthful apparently. And you know, from people like me in my 30s, right? Like I need to go there and soak up some of that youthful radiance. You're a vampire, is it? <laughs> I'm trying my best. <laughs> trying my best to remain relevant, guys. Uh, without this podcast, you might not know, Mount Austin's definitely a place you got to check out if you're visiting Malaysia. Uh, it's definitely one for you if you love cafe hopping. Uh, the actual name is called Taman Mount Austin. So it's a perfect place to just, you know, make a pit stop, grab a cup of coffee, enjoy brunch. So many must-try cafes there. And as you know, JB's cafe scene is like 
really up there. I mean, rental is cheaper. <laughs> Food's probably better as well. <laughs> so this neighborhood, okay, Mount Austin has been touted to be Johor's mini Taiwanese town as well. Bubble tea lovers, this is the place to be because it's home to over 30 bubble tea shops. You can rest assured that your bubble tea cravings will be fixed. And I actually remember this, like, I remember trying bubble tea in Malaysia and their tea is very close to how Taiwanese make their milk tea. I don't know how to describe this, but there's that unique tea flavor that feels very traditional, very aromatic, and you can't always get that in the bubble tea chains here in Singapore. One of my team members in, in Malaysia was like, you know what makes Malaysian bubble tea better? I was like, what? It's the susu here, dude. It's the milk. The milk here <gasps> makes the damn difference. I was like, kind of yeah. makes sense. Like, I don't have fresh, super fresh milk in Singapore. All shit is like imported and stuff. I was like, mm, maybe you're, maybe they're right. Maybe the milk there just is better. <laughs> so me and you've done all the lifestyle stuff, which is awesome. I'm going to talk a bit about some of the sightseeing things you can do within JP. One of the places that actually a lot of people don't know they can check out is the Istana Bazaar. And this was constructed in 1866. Whoa. It's the Grand Palace of the state and was once the home of the Sultan of Johor. The structure incorporates a beautiful blend of both Malay and Western architectural styles and stands out majestically with its stark white walls and signature blue roof. Today, it is mainly used for official functions only, and part of it is converted into the Royal Abu Bakar Museum, showcasing a collection of antiques and heirlooms of the royal family. I had this place on my list. I've not actually been there myself. Oh, man. Okay. Uh, but it's definitely one of those things to like appreciate more about you know johor as a state as like a place that actually has more than just food and shopping more than just food and shopping it looks good though the photos look good like no lie it's always cool to appreciate sort of the architectural styles mm. of each part of the world and i think malay architectural styles are actually quite interesting in, the, in their own ways right because they take a lot of influence from the nature around them mm. from the traditions around them and it, it definitely tells its own story. Another place to talk about is Kota Tinghi Firefly Park. This is a bit further out from JB City. Uh, you can go up to the Firefly Park to hop on a boat for a nighttime viewing of fireflies lighting up the night sky. Wow. Nature lovers will especially enjoy the unique Firefly River Cruise experience amidst the protected habitat of the glowing creatures while learning about the history of the Johor River from your guide. So it's kind of like, I guess, the river safari and night safari put into one, except it should look and feel more like a Disney movie, I think, with the, with the fireflies. And at last I see the yeah, yeah, yeah. light. That's, that's the exact scene <laughs> I was thinking about, dude. I saw some of the photos from the Kota Tiki Firefly Park, and I was like, wow, this shit looks magical, Romance. dude. <laughs> Just the fact that you can take a river cruise. I, ne I never knew you could do these kind of things there. Uh, I, on the other hand, I also like night activities. But the one that I picked and I found to be interesting was the Madan Salara Meldrum Walk. So this one is a bit of a night market, and uh, but it only opens at night and has all these food stores that come out. It's a nighttime food bonanza. Uh, so I definitely recommend this. I've read tons of reviews uh, and I've been there once, but this was just before pre-pandemic, I think, when I was starting to visit uh, JB a little bit more by driving up to KL. So the food quality here is insane. It's very vast. 
Uh, you can feast on local favorites like, you know, your barbecue chicken wings, fried kway teow, fried carrot cake, satay. Uh, lots of good seafood there as well. The, the good thing about Singapore and Malaysia, right, I think is that our food overlaps are very strong. So there's always a direct comparison. And yes, I'm a very big fan of a lot of Singaporean food. Seafood barbecues, I think they just hit different when you're in JB. Well, uh, every Singaporean will admit that Malaysian food is better. <laughs> So Singaporean tries to defend that Singaporean food is better. They're lying to themselves, right? It's 100% true that Malaysian food is better. But we always like to argue that Singaporean food is still good enough. Mm. It's still mm. good, but Malaysians take it a notch further. Like they'll say Singaporean food doesn't even meet the mark. It can be a bit mean sometimes that Malaysians are... <laughs> Chill a bit, chill a bit. We're here to build bridges, not burn up, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> there is one last place. This is my invitation to the both of you. Uh, I hope that one day we could travel to Legoland Malaysia together. You see, I Aww. am a big theme park kind of guy. In fact, one of my earlier goals, I, I did this with a friend many, many, many years back, uh, was that we went across America and tried as many theme parks as possible. And that's because I always feel like we're very starved for theme park entertainment in Singapore. I always think, oh, we only have USS. But in doing the research for this piece, I was like, oh, right. Legoland isn't that far away, actually. In fact, they're, they're hoping that people will come back to, to Legoland Malaysia someday. La. I just remembered that I've actually visited Legoland. So. Voila! Never joke. Yeah, no. <laughs> like, I now I remember why I don't remember that memory because I went there with my ex-boyfriend, so. No, no, it makes sense, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense, makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. Was yeah. Legoland fun or not? It was. <laughs> it's very family-friendly. Theme parks, what makes them exciting is that they continue to expand, right? Um, if they do that, actually, I think it's got so much potential because... When, when I went there, I think it just opened and a lot of the rides were centered around like kids, like kids, family friendly kind of rides. But if you're into like sick roller coasters, I think that like Legoland has so much potential to be super, super cool. Oh, we so, gotta go. You just want to escape from the world and pretend that this is all there is. So yes, I wanted to end this note on an invitation now that we can travel again for the three of us to someday go out there and have an adventure together. Uh, and with that, I think we've done, we've done a lot of deep diving. Uh, and he shared a little, bit of, a little bit more about Johor Bahru today. So thanks for spending uh, this wonderful day with us. Uh, it was a great Sunday also recording with my best friends. Uh, we'll catch you guys in the next one. So in the meantime, take care. And if you guys visit any of the places that we recommend, please tag us. Once again, it's SG Explain Podcast on Instagram. <laughs> yes. All right, we'll see you in the next episode. Bye, everyone. Bye.